Welcome to the Licensing Podcast, where we take what may seem like the extremely boring and try to make it a little less boring. Each episode is geared towards a story to help provide you with some of the background of where these topics come from, why they work the way they work, and what you can do about it on your test. We're going to provide a lot of realism. Unfortunately, you can only provide so much fun. I'll be honest, guys, I'm pretty excited for today's session. I know you're looking at the title and you're thinking, municipal bonds, this can't be fun. But I'm here to absolutely prove you wrong. The stories in this thing are impactful. The content is all around the idea of you have to be able to separate municipal general obligation bonds from municipal revenue bonds. That's the linchpin to your questions. Your questions are going to be, you've got this water bond or this sewer bond, and does it have a trust indenture or is there a mill rate? It's really what I call just a giant vocabulary wall. There are certain words that you're going to see in the Muni Geo side of the line, mill rate, voter approval, debt limits, that you're just not going to see with revenue bonds. And there's words on the revenue bond side of the line, feasibility study, trust indenture, that you're just not going to see on the general obligation bond on the side of the line. So the faster you can organize those vocabulary words into geo words and revenue words, and the quicker you can teach yourself to respect that vocabulary wall and not jump across with the different words, the easier the municipal bond section is going to become. And that's pretty much why the content was organized the way that it was. Now, having said that, I'm fully aware the questions do a great job of playing with that and trying to get you to commit to exceptions and one-offs. Even worse, in the real world, you kind of get that same feel of exceptions and one-offs. So the stories today are geared around trying to help you to see the difference. And from a personal bias standpoint, really what I'm going to be talking today is about local politics. So I'm not going to jump into red versus blue, but I do want you to understand that the more you read your local newspaper, the more you look into your city's dynamics, the faster municipal bonds will make more sense to you. Most of the stuff that happens in your city is happening with municipal bonds. So I have two stories for us. I have a very clear-cut story about general obligation bonds, and then I have a slightly messier story around revenue bonds. So the general obligation bond story first. We're going to go all the way back to 2012. I know that was so long ago. But in 2012, I'm living in Salt Lake City. Specifically, I'm living in Salt Lake County, and this is a big presidential year. So I'm going to do my civic duty. I've staked out my uh, ballot box area, and I go to vote. And while it's true that there's a bunch of national initiatives on that ballot, after I answer whether I want Barack Obama or Mitt Romney, after I answer what I want for my county treasurer and judges, the very, very last question on that ballot is a very interesting one. It says, do you want to raise... $40 million to fund the construction of a park in a very specific part of town and redo some of the walking trails along some of the rivers throughout the entire Salt Lake County area. Things like the Jordan River and stuff like that. If you're from there, I know we've got some guys in Salt Lake City themselves. So I'll keep the name of the town hidden from you guys because I'm probably not going to talk about them in the best light in a moment. But what I really want you to understand is this dichotomy between the parks and the money. I think we treat it too simply. A lot of us heard, wait a minute, Jason, do you want a park? Well, yeah, of course we want a park, right? Who doesn't want a park? Well, it's about that $40 million 
You see, that park doesn't generate any money. And that's where the geo-bond feel comes from. We're not going to get money from the park. So is somebody out of the goodness of their heart just going to donate the money to build it? Well, no, because the park's going to go in a part of town and everybody in the town is going to enjoy it. I could drive down if I wanted to and nobody charges me a fee to park in the parking lot to play on that swing set, right? That's how parks work. So that $40 million, where does it come from? Well, the ballot initiative tells me that $40 million is going to be spread out over the next 15 to 20 years, and they're going to raise my property taxes. That's where we get the mill rate feel. They're going to raise my property taxes. If I remember right, I think the estimate was something to the tune of $50 to $100. It kind of floated year over year for that. So that's really what my trade-off is. Do I want to park in this part of town? at the expense of me paying more property tax for the next 10 to 15 years. And I think you apartment renters there are like, well, if I'm living in an apartment, who cares? Well, you still care because your landlord pays your property tax. And if he's gonna pay more in property tax, you better believe he's gonna raise your rent in the next coming months. Well, as I mentioned, this part of town is actually pretty far away from me and it's in a developing area. So there's not a lot else to do other than that park. And there's a pretty low population around that zone as well. So that's not worth $50 a year to me. So I vote no. Well, the uh, ballot elected ends. A couple days later, the news is reporting all the tally counts. And the park bond, as I'll call it, passes. Easily passes. 80 to 20. Okay, I'm in that 20% minority. And I'm like, oh, no. But I know how this works, and I view this as a great opportunity to help some of my neighbors. You see, I live in a pretty good part of town at that time. And what I mean by pretty good is not rich and fancy. What I mean is well-connected. These, uh, I'm in that neighborhood where your neighbors go out onto the sidewalk every night. Then you guys have barbecues in the cul-de-sac, and your kids are playing there with the firecrackers, and you're on the curbside talking about municipal bonds and you know smart, intelligent junk like that, right? This is November. And our property taxes show up in April. So I just wait. I lay this trap, if you will. April rolls around and we get our tax bills. And I'm out on the curb watching my kids ride their bikes in the street. And a couple of my neighbors come by and they're, we're just making small tack. You know, weather's nice, yada, yada. And eventually one of them gets around to, hey, man, did you notice that our property taxes went up this year? What is that? And I was like, yeah, what is that, right? Hey, good neighbor friend, did you vote in the November election? Well, yeah, of course I did. Uh, that park bond at the very, very bottom of the ballot, did you see that one? Yeah, yeah, okay, well, did you vote for it? Yeah, I think I voted for it. I mean, who doesn't want to park? You, you don't want to park, you idiot, right? Like... You can't have it one way or the other way. And that's the big draw of the municipal geo bond. The taxes have to go up to fund the projects because the projects don't make money. You want a new road? Taxes have to go up. That's the only fiscal solve for that. So you either accept less projects or you accept that the taxes need to go up to pay for all the projects you want. So if you're driving down the road and you're wondering why in the middle of all your roads you have these beautiful, we call them beautification projects, uh, trees and billboards and whatnot, that's your geo tax. That's your property tax paying for that. If you're wondering why they're widening out this state-run highway, that's your geo tax. That's your property tax paying for that. 
and you got to vote. You got to tell them, do I want a new park? Do I want a new road? Your mayor doesn't know. He puts them on the ballot and he lets you decide. So if you're not voting, you're not telling the mayor what you want your geo money to be spent on, which means you really don't have a leg to stand on when you want to complain about why we're building one project instead of another. Now, when we move over to the revenue side of the line, it gets convoluted in the real world pretty fast. This is the one space where the book actually probably does a better job of keeping it very crystal clean. You see in the real messy world, a potential project that generates revenue, like a zoo or a stadium or something like that, can have a lot of options. Your football stadium owner might actually try to sell your city that he's creating so many jobs that he's a public good. And so the football stadium should be funded with geo funds and he shouldn't contribute anything to it. And if he can't get that to fly, if that's not very paddleable, then maybe he tries to sell your city the fact that it should be floated with city revenue bonds and they'll just use the ticket sales to pay off those revenue bonds. But hopefully you notice that the risk of the financing is still borne by the city. This owner hasn't fronted any of his own money yet. And then the third option is the city's uncomfortable doing that as well. So they just tell the football stadium owner, look, you're going to have to build the stadium with your own money. And in which case he could float corporate bonds of his own private company to float the stadium. So hopefully you can see the second we introduce money into the equation, it gets a little more complicated in terms of what avenue we're going to go down. And that's related to the story I'm about to tell you. So the year now is 2014. And I'm living in Denver. I've moved out to the Denver site to help control some of the licensing needs here. And on the ballot, I'm, I'm fully registered as a voter. By now, hopefully you realize the civic voting duty that I feel within myself. So the ballot has this particular issue. Somebody has decided that the schools in the counties are underfunded by about $114 million. So pretty big chunk that's missing. And some of the state representatives have proposed, let's go ahead and raise taxes to, sh to come up with that shortfall. Because the alternative is fire teachers or stuff more students into less classes so class size will go up. Well, somebody gets this bright idea. They say, you know what? None of that sounds good. Let's do this instead. In a couple of the counties in Colorado, there are some racetracks and they have like horse races and you can go do some kind of betting. I'll be honest, myself, I'm not much of a better, so I don't know exactly what you can gamble there, but it's very limited in what you can do. So this third party says what we really want to do is we want to increase the amount of gambling that can be done at these places. Let's put in crap tables or poker tables or slot machines. Let's increase the gambling at these institutions and then let's tax it. And with that additional tax money, let's fork that over to the education fund. I mean, it kills two birds with one stone, right? It lets you engage in your guilty pleasure of gambling. And it's even for a good cause, right? You're not gambling because you're an addict. You're gambling for the children, right? Doesn't that sound so much better? So we weren't really voting on where the revenue would come from. The constitution of the state didn't allow us to do that kind of gambling at the racetracks. So the reason it showed up on the ballot was because we had to vote to change the constitution to make it legal to do more types of gambling at the racetrack. That's why we were voting. The result was, though, if we passed that, the revenue project would be that the gambling would be taxed at a higher rate. That special tax would be used for the education fund. 
Now, um, just to close out the story, it ended up not happening. Enough people voted that they didn't like the idea of supporting gambling, even if it meant the pro of increasing the education fund. Maybe I'd rather just pay the tax straight out and consider myself a, I don't know, maybe a more moral person or whatever your moral compass is. So in summary, those are two different stories that I wanted to tell about hopefully trying to get you to see a bigger picture of that. When we say municipal bonds, we're not talking about just words on a sheet of paper. We're actually talking about how your elected officials spend your property tax or your landlord's property tax and how that affects your home or your apartment if you're a renter. These people really are spending your money. And in the end, it's about how do you want to tell them how that money needs to be spent. If we bring it back to the test, then we're focusing on the differences between general obligation bonds, which are non-self-supporting. They're not making money. So you need to vote to tell your official how to use it. And your mill rate will determine how much you pay to support that project. On the other side of the line, we're talking about revenue bonds, where our mayor is telling us that he's going to charge tickets or fees or fines or user charges to raise the money so he doesn't have to ask for our vote because it will be self-sustaining and that money that the project earns will be the money they use to pay off the bonds. It's your job to keep those two vocabulary sections separate so that when the question starts to try to muddy those waters, you can hold them apart. So that's our session for today. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.